My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome back to another episode of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. I'm so glad to have you here. This week on the show, I am joined by the world-renowned whistler Molly Lewis. Last year, she released a great EP called The Forgotten Edge via the Jag Jaguar label. With its exotica and spaghetti western motifs, this collection of songs is a supremely playful and very lovely listen. I listen to it an awful lot. Uh, Lewis is a charming conversationalist too, I found out when we got together to, uh, to talk. We explored her roots in competitive whistling, uh, we talked about what it's like to be in the studio with Dr. Dre, talked about what it's like to work with John C. Riley, and uh, we talked about her whistling for the late, great Harry Dean Stanton. Um, real honor to talk with Molly. I think you're going to enjoy this chat. So without much more delay, why don't we get right into it? Here's me in conversation with Molly Lewis. You're listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thanks for being with us. I'll talk to you a little bit more on the other side. Molly, thanks so much for hanging out with us here on the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you. I've really been enjoying uh listening to your music oh thank thanks so much for having me i'm i'm honored to be on when the when the video for oceanic feeling came out uh i watched it and like right when it right, right when it first came out and i was immediately like wow this is the exact kind of music i have been in the mood for um and then John C. Riley showed up dressed in like a weird king outfit. And I was like, oh, whoa, it's been taken to an entirely new level. I, I, you, you weren't expecting that? No, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't expect, uh, I didn't expect that at all, but it was, it was more than, more than welcome. Um, oh, well, that's great. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that it's the kind of music that you were, that you like. Well, it's just, there's been, um. I suppose it's probably, uh, it doesn't, I don't need to say this, but I will anyway. It's obviously been a, a fairly rough time in a general sense for almost everybody. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think that um, there are times for all kinds of music, including more contemplative and, and dark stuff, but then there's also time for music that is transportive in the particular way that I think your music is, you know, um, and, and, and now feels like a good time for that kind of transportive, uh, listening. Um, thank you. I, I, I agree obviously, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, the, it definitely was a, a big help to my time last year to be working on 
this music and um, it, it, it really felt like a, an escape from the, you know, the world and everything that was going on. It, it was a, a really a nice way to kind of forget about everything for a while. And um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad uh, if, if that, if that's what other people got from it as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think about how obviously, um, you know, forgetting about everything for a little while, that's just necessary in order to process all the stuff that's happening too, you know? So, but but I do uh-huh. I do sometimes think that it can become easy to convince yourself that like you need to be plugged in to the, to the, to the strangeness at all times. Uh, but uh, yeah. You, but you can't, right? <laughs> Oh, no. I mean, gosh, I, I've never checked the news so often as I, I did last year. And it was almost an obsession and yeah. and not healthy. And I know many people who felt that way, like just kind of constantly being on phones or computers and updating and getting news constantly. And um, yeah, there was a part of me that was like, you know, working on this fun, dreamy, exotic uh, music and kind of thinking like, oh, what am I doing? What am I, (laughs) you know, this, what am I contributing? This should be a political album, but um, that's not the kind of music I I make. And also I I think there is a a place for escape and um, a necessary place. Yeah. And for relaxation and joy and, and, yeah and imagination too like we have yeah. to we have to give give our give our heads room to wander because uh I, I think at the risk of sounding reductive you know so much of our problems right now are due to a sort of lack of imagination so i think that mm-hmm. there's there's more than enough space for for music like yours that really opens up i mean that's sort of the thing with exotica right like as much as it is a music that borrows from um you know cultures across the globe uh mm-hmm. as much as it is referencing that stuff it is primarily you know or at least a lot of the exotica that i'm drawn to it, it's it's imagination music it's about places uh-huh. it's about places that don't exist necessarily you know and to me that's a yeah that's a crucial a fantasy world a, a fantasy world and and i mean and as much as it is you know like you said i'm sure i'm sure it's impossible to, to look at everything that's happening in society and not feel like, am I doing enough to contribute to meaningful change? But yeah, I do think that there's a, a, um, a value in, in, in opening up a, a, a part of your brain that is just like imagining what, what could be, what, how nice things could be, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, zoning out yeah. a little bit. Yeah. 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 But no, it, you know, it, it's hard. Um, you know, I definitely kind of thought about that a lot and like, oh, you know, having that kind of self-doubt, like, what am I doing? Right, <laughs> right. I'm just, I'm just whistling and, <laughs> you know, making this like, you know, this silly music, but it's not silly. I, I love the music, but yeah, it, it, in the face of everything that that's happening, it, it it's hard to kind of um, reconcile sometimes, but I, I agree. And and that's how I feel about art that I love. Um, it's necessary and it, it's, uh, I, you know, it's needed. Yeah. To, so, I, yeah. Yeah. You, um, so, so if I understand right, you, you kind of got your start, you got your start whistling at home, right? With your parents. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, it was just something I always did as a kid. I've been, doing it my whole life 
so how how does one make the decision to enter into like whistling tournaments and things like that (laughs) competitive whistling Oh, the competitive whistling world. I mean, one does not make that decision lightly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was actually my, I saw a documentary with my parents when I was in high school called Pucker Up. And it was about the international whistling competition that used to be held in Louisburg, North Carolina. And I watched this. It's a really great doc if you can find it. It's, It's wonderful. But it basically follows these two whistlers one named Geert Chatro who's from the Netherlands and he's incredible but it was his first tournament and um it I just kind of saw this and I was like wow I, I couldn't believe that existed first of all and second I was like wow I think I could do okay at that um I realized that I could whistle like the protagonists mm. and my dad told me if I ever got into that competition he'd take me there and I always remembered that it was like, you know, I was just like, one day I will use that card. <laughs> and um, I think I, I went to university and I finished school and I felt a little aimless and didn't know what I was going to do next. And so I entered the competition and my dad took me. That's that's amazing. I have to <laughs> imagine that that as opposed to the sort of dreamy fantasy lands of your of your of your albums whistling <laughs> tournaments are, are are probably more high stress affairs is that fair absolutely cutthroat yeah <laughs> no. yeah no 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 i'm joking <laughs> <It's>, um... <laughs> look you you could have convinced me i mean i don't know <laughs> you know part of the reason i wanted to go it you know it wasn't um i wanted to meet other whistlers and yeah. i wanted to just it was more anthropological. I wanted to like see this world and um, kind of experience uh, what this kind of group was like. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it, you know, everyone is brought together by their love of whistling. And so, and it's not big. I think there were maybe, I, gosh, like 80 people there um, or less, probably less, but like you know the audit it was in this auditorium in this small town the only other people in the auditorium were like the whistlers waiting to go on stage and like a kind of a few stragglers who or you know people from the town who wanted to check out what was going on it's not like some olympic size event okay it's, um, <laughs> sure but um no every it's great there's definitely like uh you know people who love whistling have a, um, a sense of humor about it for the most part. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of camaraderie. It was very, you felt like you were being welcomed into the whistling community. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a small community. So, well, I mean, you know. 80 whistlers is not that many whistlers, but four whistlers, 80 whistlers is quite a lot of whistlers. I feel that's like. a lot. That's a ton of whistlers. I wonder what a group of whistlers is called. I don't, I don't, I don't. like a parliament of owls. Maybe it's a, yeah, a wisp. Um, yeah, there was a, yeah, it's a community. I mean, but you know, at the same time, it's like, this is the one thing we all have in common. And right, so there's right. people who, you know, I wouldn't usually interact with, but um, except for our love of whistling. But I actually, Geert Chatro, who was the protagonist in the documentary I told you about, 
he and I, I didn't meet him at the competition, but we, we were pen pals and we've met a few times over the years. And he, he's my best whistling friend. I, I, it's so, and it's, you know, honestly, it's like, whenever I meet up with him and talk about the whistle world and like what we do, it's, it's, I, it's definitely a a unique feeling because I, I can't really talk to anyone else the way I can talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. That what we do. (laughs) That makes sense. Does he, does he also do, does he also do session work the way that, the way that you do? Yes. So he is, I guess the one whistler I know who's a professional whistler in the sense that this is his job. Um, and he does session work. He, he's made some albums. Um, he, when I last saw him, he was touring with Cirque du Soleil as their Mm. whistler. Um, but yeah, I, you know, he's making a living whistling, which I think he's the only other person I've met who Who does does that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get more into the, the, the whistling side of things, I, I did, I did want to touch on, so you, you grew up splitting your time between Australia and California, right? Uh, yes, I, I, I'm Australian. I was born there and then my family moved to LA when I was a baby and we, I stayed here until I was 12. And then we moved back to Australia to a small town called Mullumbimby. Um, and my family's still there. And I kind of left, uh, I guess for school and to travel. And I moved back to LA eight years ago now. What was the, what's, how do the two places compare, uh, pace, (laughs) pace wise? Uh, Los Angeles and Mullumbimby. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Mullumbimby is a a tiny town it's kind of a rainforest tropical town there's no street lights there's kind of one main street with a a lolly shop and a a bakery and um, a Chinese restaurant called Mullum House and um, yeah it's very uh, it's a bit hippie there's kind of you can walk barefoot places that's cool (laughs) yeah um yeah, and then you know, it, so it was definitely a a, a big change of pace. Um, I was furious. <laughs> oh, when, uh, when you were twelve. Yeah, I was. You know, yeah, I was. Sense. I was sad to leave all my friends, and you know, Malam doesn't have a movie theater. It's yeah. uh, you know, there's a, it's a long way away from kind of L.A. where there's so much culture you know concerts and film and a lot of exciting things so uh but you know in exchange i i did snorkeling for school sport and um yeah i got a a nature education which was great your your parents are both in music and film is that right yes my my dad makes documentaries and my mom she's always done the uh, music supervision for Mm -hmm. his documentaries and um yeah what what kind of stuff did you did you have pop culture wise? You know, there's no movie theater in town. So does that sort of mean you were relying on your parents record collection and their their movie collection as far as entertainment goes? Yes. Uh, you know, my parents don't they didn't have a record collection, really. I, I you know, we'd get obsessed with like certain CDs in the car and there was a lot of driving because this town uh, you know, it's everywhere. You, you got to kind of drive to get t- to other towns. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, there were a few CDs that, you know, kind of basically got worn out. Abba Gold, um, a, Patsy Cline. <laughs> those are good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, my, you know, they, they're very into film. And so we, we watched a lot of things together, a lot of documentaries. My dad makes documentaries. And so, um, yeah, I definitely had a education in that. Um, yeah. There's obviously a big cinematic quality to, to what you do. You know, uh, you mentioned in the, in the great, in a great New York times piece by my friend, Nate Rogers, that you, you sometimes almost think of your music as, you know, soundtrack music for films that, that don't exist. Um, were you always were you always drawn to to movies as a kid and and into your I mean that's what you studied in school as well I think yes I I love cinema and you know that's kind of I you know I wasn't planning on becoming a, a musician I, but I I love movies and I love film music that was my like greatest passion um, and it kind of started when I was twelve I saw Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. And I was, uh, I was just blown away by the soundtrack and I would listen to it like every night. <laughs> and um, gosh, I, I like learned the themes on recorder. I, I wrote to Howard Shore, the composer. Yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was very into this. And yeah, that kind of taught me, I, I, I really just like he kind of used certain themes for different characters and, you know, they would, you know, um, intertwine when characters would come together and right. form a different theme. And I, yeah, it kind of, I just loved the way that the soundtrack kind of represented the image. And, um, and that kind of got me into other soundtracks as well from there. But that was my first kind of, love <laughs> my first soundtrack and for a am, am i remembering correctly is there also enya music on does enya have a song in the she, oh yes you are yes uh, she does have a song and it's um it's gorgeous <laughs> yeah that's 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 great i don't suppose you've ever met enya uh if only <laughs> that would be that's like that's a dream collab look there's there's lots of time i mean it could it could yeah. have you i mean was was dr dre on the list of dream collabs or uh was that a surprise when you got that asked was <laughs> that was a surprise um yeah that that one was you know i didn't even i never even thought that was something that would be possible but how did yeah how did that work out how did you get how did you get like i mean was he there for the, the session you did or was it an engineer of his kind of overseeing it no so you know i it's funny i i get um like as much as i hate instagram and social media in certain ways i have gotten a lot of work this way um and I got a DM one day from a producer, Fred Reck, who works with Dr. Dre. And he DM me saying that Dr. Dre was looking for some dope whistles. And uh, would I, you know, be available? Yeah. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. I, I can, I'm a dope whistler. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, I kind of went to this, before I went to the studio, I had friends who were kind of like, you know, I'm Dr. Dre won't even be there. Like you'll probably, you probably won't even meet him. And, um, 
but no, I got there and uh, he came in and he was like, I want to hear this. <laughs> and he pulled up a chair and um, yeah, it was cool. He was, he was really sweet. And um, yeah, he kept, after I did the session, he kept whistling um, and, you know, he was like, wow, I'm going to be whistling all week. And I was like, you know, I, I stick to producing Dre. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. He, um he's a great he's not that good a whistler okay but <laughs> but no it was wonderful he was he was sweet that's the, that was yeah I mean does that is at this point you know having whistled your whole life and then professionally for quite some time I mean is it what does it feel like going into something like that I mean I'm sure it's a mix of excitement and nerves and a bunch of other stuff but you know do you how do you there's something about whistling that to me at least, right? As somebody who absolutely cannot whistle um, <laughs> at all, I, I, it just feels like it's such a um, such an intimate sort of way to go about things. And it's sort of like a, uh, a very unguarded, you know, way to go about stuff. Because if you're playing guitar, you know, you've got a guitar. Um, if you're uh -huh. playing, if you're, even if you're playing the saxophone, another instrument that is, you know, relies on breath or whatever, it's in your yeah. hands. There's something... <laughs> external you know but like singing you know it's just you I mean what how does that uh -huh. feel yeah it's it it it's true there isn't like a vessel to hide behind and right. um and yeah it does feel like it's me it's coming out of me and also the other thing that's quite um difficult or that I this has taken me many years to get over but I, I smile a lot if I'm nervous and I'm sure. just a, a smiley person and you absolutely can't smile if you're whistling. <laughs> you yeah. have to yeah. concentrate pretty hard on what you're doing. And um, yeah, so I guess when I first started doing sessions, um, I, was I was way more nervous because right. uh, not knowing what people wanted or kind of um, feeling, yeah, a bit um exposed <laughs> sure, uh, sure sure uh but i've done i've kind of done enough now that you know this rolled around and i had no idea what they wanted but i knew that you know i i know that i'm a good whistler Does it, <laughs> and yeah. yeah do you i mean are you called on very often like in session specifically not not your own stuff you know where you're the person who's in charge of it um but in terms of sessions, like, is it very often th there's somebody who is either whistling a part or playing a part on another instrument and sort of asking you to replicate it? Or are you being asked to arrange more often? Does it work all those different ways? Yeah, I think usually it's a mixture of both. Like sometimes they want to just send me the track and see what I yeah. can do over it or... Um, or I'll have like a part kind of uh, written or played out for me with another instrument. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this this session was a mixture of that. But uh, yeah, that's so. So for your your debut EP, the Forgotten Edge, you essentially, I th if am, am am I am I right in that you learned. Did you did you pick up the guitar? Had you already played some to some degree, uh, and then you just started kind of composing more? Uh, how did how did the the shift from whistling, you know, 
uh, to sort of songwriting with the idea of whistling being the sort of featured player or the melody, you know, how did that, how did that transition happen? Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I've been performing live in LA for years, um, with the band and kind of have a regular show I call Cafe Molly. And, yeah. You know, we, we play, it's like a lounge show. We, we play jazz and bossa nova and cinema classics and, um, yeah, Italian soundtrack stuff. Um, Stuff that all very much, I think, informs obviously what what you do and all of those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I'm not I I wasn't a trained musician. I, you know, and so for me, like getting into music was something um, unexpected, I guess, or, you know, something I've kind of tentatively been following, but also feeling a little not super confident in my abilities. Um, but uh, yeah, I've definitely, I've learned a lot playing with musicians and doing sessions and uh, learning about music in that way. And then I guess the pandemic rolled around and I, my friend gave me a guitar and, you know, he just had one, an old one lying around and was like, do you want this? <laughs> and yeah. so I took, I took it home and um I had learned like a couple chords I kind of used to make a joke that E minor was my favorite chord. It's extremely easy chord to play. It's, it, um, it, it is a pretty good one though. I mean, it's quite, it's a great, it's a great one. Quite, quite nice um, sounding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I, over the pandemic, it was kind of my activity um, and learning more with the guitar you know, it's very easy to whistle um, over this instrument. And I really love the sounds together. And so I kind of started uh, making some little songs that way. Um, and yeah. Uh, and then I, I mean, I guess the main thing that helped me was I met Tom Brennick, who is the producer who made the album. Yeah. Um, and he was just very encouraging of these voice memos and really bad little, badly recorded little demos that I had and was just so down to flesh them out and make them into songs and record them. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really, uh, encouraging because, you know, this is, like I said, not, not being a trained musician, I've always been a little bit, um, hesitant and uh unsure of you know what what I can contribute in that sense sure did you did you always get the sense that your music um just from maybe the the world of of playing jazz and bossa nova or, or, or lounge kind of music did you always get the sense that your music would be instrumental um it I mean obviously there are vocals you know but they're they're wordless just like mm-hmm. ahs and oohs but did you always kind of have that in your head or was that something that more or less presented itself to you as you worked these songs out I'm no I I, I I, you know, I don't sing and I've never dealt with lyrics. And I, you know, honestly, that I only really listen to instrumental music. Oh, main, um, that's cool. Mainly, mainly, that's my favorite kind of music. I actually find words distracting sometimes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this was never something I thought about including. Yeah. Um, 
Although, yeah, now when I, you know, thinking about the future, I'm like, gosh, I have to change some things up. Maybe, maybe I'll include words sporadically. Start with one here and there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see what happens. Yeah, by your by your you know eighth or ninth album, you're gonna have a full sentence per song. Yeah, pretty. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see about that. Yeah, but who, who? Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that lyrics, you know, aren't necessarily something that you you are drawn to in music. Are there are there lyricists who you do uh, you know admire despite that? Um, yeah, uh, you know, it, 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 it's always been something like I've, when I listen to music, I, I'm not listening to the words. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like, that's kind of the last thing I notice, uh, or it has to be a song that I've listened to a lot to kind of really appreciate the lyrics. Um, but, uh, you know, like I, I love Patsy Cline. Yeah. Um, you know, heartbreaking country songs, um, songs where it doesn't even necessarily matter what, what the words are. That's, that's maybe a, Uh that's maybe again, I've used the term reductive already in this interview, but I'll Mm -hmm. do it again. I might be being reductive, but you're counting on the melody and the sound of the voice Mm -hmm. to carry the emotion is what it sounds like. That's what you're drawn to more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Or I listen to a lot of um, music in other languages as well. And I, sure. For the same reason, it's kind of, it's the voice is an instrument that I love. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's less about what they're saying. Do you, I, I almost feel like, like whistling is, somewhere between uh, a reed instrument or a theremin and then obviously the voice it can sound very very otherworldly but it also sounds very human so i mean do you do you hear melodies often and sort of think like how would i replicate that as a whistle or how would i phrase that melody is that sort of I mean, uh, not to say that you're always sitting around thinking about how you would do the music when you're listening to music, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely, if I hear something, I I can kind of hear immediately if it's something that will translate um, to the whistle. Right, uh, right. And, you know, uh, sometimes I'll hear a song and I'll, I'll be really excited because I'll know that it's something that will fit. Um, yeah, like a, there was this, Gosh, I wish I could remember who wrote this, but it was for piccolo recorder, a classical piece. And of course, the piccolo is in a similar range. And so when I heard that, I was really excited. Hey, you're listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. We'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. Okay. So. Hello. Today. 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 Every day on Radiolab. We we have have the the story story as old this time. Uh, this story begins... I guess you could say with a mystery. Slippery mystery. It's like a... A journey about... This thing. Birds. Money. Spicy science. Man versus animal. An emergency room doctor. Crap. Non-fiction. It's Radiolab. Take me away. Yes. 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 Listen wherever you get your podcasts. But yeah, you called it something similar to a theremin, and I, I sometimes call it when people ask, like, you know, people say, what do you do? And if I say I whistle, and I know people don't understand that, I sometimes <laughs> this is describe it like a human theremin because it does have that, there's like a human quality that um, right. I think does shine through. 
Yeah, very, uh, very much so. What was, you know, you, it's interesting because you mentioned that one of the things you're drawn to is that like movement in the in the melody and the way that's obviously there's something so so stately and dramatic about the whistle. Um, I, I, I found myself as I was listening to the EP thinking about how one of my favorite things that happens is is specifically the bass and the rhythm section, you know, the way like th- that will sort of f- focus on one motif and just sort of like uh, repetitive in a good way, you know, sort of sort of uh, circle around that. And then on top of that, of course, y- you're, you're bringing the sort of like the star quality whistling. Um, but I really, I really enjoyed that. What was, you know, when you and you and Thomas got together, what kind of conversations did you have about how you wanted the sort of the backing and the, and the accompaniment and support of the band to function uh, on the record? Well, you know, this was something that like when we met and we started making stuff, it, it wasn't with a record in mind. Ah. Um, we, he's the brother-in-law of my best friend um, in LA, Ariana Papadimitropoulos. Um, and she introduced us and uh, cause she was just like, you guys have to meet, you know, I, she knew that we had similar tastes in music and she thought we would make something great together. Um, and so we just started hanging out and at his studio and, uh, making some songs and it, it was just a very organic fun process um there'd be some session musicians hanging out at the studio that he works with um Joe Harrison and Gabe Rollins and Wayne Gordon uh Eric Hagstrom and you know these guys it was a small group because it was the pandemic and he was working with a small group and so we just started making songs and every one kind of originated in a different way. Um, some of them were like, I hate the word jam, but um, <laughs> why do you, <laughs> you know, why do you hate the word jam? There's, there just needs to be, a, cause you can't say I'm going to go jam. Like, no, I don't know. You, <laughs> there, there needs to be a better word. Um, if anyone has one, I'd love to hear it, but, yeah uh we 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 jammed okay. a little bit yeah. sometimes um or someone would come in with an idea and we'd work around that uh but yeah it was it was really based around who was around and who could play and you know he really likes to record as much live as possible so yeah you know we we'd have we'd kind of rope someone in from another studio to come play percussion um but yeah, it, it just kind of originated that way. It, there wasn't much forethought. Do you, yeah. In, in the studio, does, does that mean you, how much do you have to isolate your, your mic uh, away from the rest of the group in a, in a, in a quote unquote jamming situation? (laughs) Um, I have to be in another little room. Yeah. uh, Isolated. (laughs) Although I recently, I was in, Paris and I recorded with some musicians there and the producer wanted us all in one room and that was really fun because I, 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 I don't usually get to be with everyone else and I was honestly like nervous of that but it was it was great um yeah I, I can't help but consider that in addition to being as 
exposed and vulnerable, I mean, whistling often is probably kind of solitary because it's a little bit of a, a, a tricky sound to probably get right, you know? Yeah. And also, you know, this is my this was my first time recording, really, like my own uh, stuff. And um, I was pretty, you know, concerned about getting the best whistle sound possible and also getting getting the best whistle possible and really wanted the chance to be able to go back and redo it if right to right right um so yeah well you you pulled it off i mean it's 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 beautiful obviously there are all these interesting spaghetti western sort of tones and as we've mentioned some of the exotica tones i think uh there are moments where it almost reminds me of like you know, David Axelrod too, with like the oh. Wrecking Crew. It's sort of, there's one specific song, uh, my head has gone completely blank, but um, I think Satin Curtains is what I'm thinking of, the way the drum, oh. the drums come in, which is such a cool, such a cool thing. That drummer is A. Browns and he's incredible. And so, yeah, he came in one day and Tom kind of built the session around having Abe there and playing drums and, um yeah, that was one where they recorded the rhythm section and I so with some of these songs I'd take that home and then kind of work on a melody um uh to then record. Um and with this one I was just like there's there's no need for me here. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I'm not adding I'm not adding anything and I, I didn't even want to touch it, but I, I thought of, I had some vocal parts that I thought could, could be added. So we did that, but I, I, you know, I was also kind of like, you know, let's give the whistling a break. Yeah. Let's have one song without it. It's really, <laughs> um, it's really cool though. I mean, and it's, it's like you mentioned the idea that like, you're going to want to continue to refine and try different approaches and all that stuff. So I think that's one of those moments where it's like, you're not just a whistler, you're, you're a a vocal composer too, you know? Oh, thanks. Yeah. That was, um, you know, I, I really love vocals and I've, so I was kind of writing these vocal parts as well yeah. to insert, insert. Um, and I, I didn't, I don't, think I'm a good singer and I you know this isn't part of my um this isn't something I do right but uh we Tom kind of convinced me that I could make it work for the (laughs) recording and you know I was like okay turn the reverb up to a hundred and um maybe we can you know we we doubled a lot of it with synths and it, sa- <laughs> just kind of- it sounds awesome. Whatever you oh. did, whatever you did works and it sounds beautiful. Okay. It sounds, it sounds beautiful. <laughs> Thanks. You mentioned, you mentioned getting, you know, uh, uh, DMS as a, as a fairly, uh, common way for artists to introduce themselves. Obviously at the cafe Molly shows, you'll have guests, people come up and perform with you. People like John C. Riley and, and Mac DeMarco and, and others, mm-hmm. but, but uh, how did it feel when when Karen O turned up in your DMs? How did that How did that work? Well, yeah, she turned up. Um, she slid into the DMs, as the <laughs> kids say. Um, and this was this is years ago now. Gosh, right? Um, maybe like yeah, I got I don't even know what year, but four years ago or so. You hadn't so, so you'd been in LA for 
a while, f- four years or so. Yeah, I'd been in LA for a while, but I wasn't. I this is before I'd even put on a a performance. Got it. Um, got it. Like with with a band, and so yeah, getting a message from someone like that when I really hadn't done that much with music was really exciting. And yeah, she asked me to if I'd be down to play at this. Um, it was a tribute concert for Harry Dean Stanton, um, the actor. Before he died, there, they, all these musicians and actors came together to perform music from his films. And she was going to be playing Closer Walk With Thee from mm. Cool Hand Luke um, and wanted me to do a whistle solo. And of course, I was honored and excited. And it was at this beautiful theater downtown, the United Artists Theater, Ace Theater. Uh, and gosh, I was I was so nervous because this is this was the biggest audience I'd ever performed to. But it was it was a lot of fun. And yeah, it was really cool to hear from her and meet her and play with her. Do you, do you know how she heard your music? Yes, I think she told me that so um, this woman Kazoo from Blonde Redhead, uh, she and I had worked on, I'd worked on a music video for her with Conan Moccasin. Hmm. Um, Conan's a friend and yeah. I was help, I was helping make this video that for the song that they uh, did together. And so I met her and she came to a concert. Oh, it was a, I did a, a small lecture in New York. Um, it was like a slideshow uh, about whistling and I whistled a few songs in between the talk and she came, I invited her and she came and I think she filmed like, you know, maybe posted a little video of it. And that's how Karen. How cool. How cool. Yeah. <laughs> how nervous were you at the idea of, of being up on stage at the, the Ace Theater United Artists, you know, uh, as a as a as a cinephile were you uh, a pretty big harry dean fan oh yeah totally and i mean gosh this night was it was it was insane um you know david lynch was there and uh johnny depp and you know it was a real kind of star-studded affair um and yeah, that's where I met John C. Riley as well. Oh, uh, right, right. You know, I've seen John is obviously a very funny uh, actor and a very, very great actor, but also a great musician, of course. Uh, I've seen him mm-hmm. him perform. That's cool. So this was this moment where all the I mean, it must have felt to some degree uh, surreal. Totally, totally, totally surreal. Um, yeah, I was. Uh, and, and, you know, it was funny because I was so nervous and. Uh, you know, I'm hanging out with Karen backstage and she was nervous. And I was just like, God, you, you're nervous too. Like, does yeah. it ever end? <laughs> <the nerves?" laughs> um, but yeah, it was pretty surreal and exciting. And um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of, I find that every time I do a performance, I, I've always felt like, you know, it leads to something else. And that was definitely one of those events where I feel like it just kind of led to a lot of things. And um, yeah, so it was exciting. <laughs> I mean, I'm such such a huge fan of Harry Dean and he's one of the the true the true greats, you know. I love his movies, but I, 
but I also am very drawn to his personal sensibility. And uh, you know, speaking of David Lynch, there's this like great clip where the two of them are talking about nothingness and his own unimportance and all this like sort of like non-attachment, this really beautiful and moving situation. And, and I, I love that like Harry Dean Stanton had that, you know, you almost feel like that informs his performances in such an intense way. But then, of course, also, he's just so emotionally expressive when it comes to music. Um, mm-hmm. And that the melody of Just a Closer Walk with Thee, I mean, growing up in church, that was one that's like, talk about lyrics not necessarily mattering, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the melody carries such weight on that. You You ended up, that wasn't the only interaction you had with Harry Dean Stanton, right? You had you had one more interaction with him where I guess before he passed away, you you whistled uh, for him again. Yeah. So yeah, that that night I I didn't get to meet him. Mm. Um, I think he was maybe nine ninety. Am I, am I? Is that right? He was very old. Sounds and about it, right. This, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I. One of my close friends in LA is a man named Kenneth Sonny Donato, Sonny Bones, who he's a poet and also a best bartender in the world um, at Musso and Frank's in Hollywood. Good, and yeah, he, good person to know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I could tell you a million stories about Sonny. He's definitely, you know, a total good luck charm. And I feel like I, you know, magic things happen when I'm with Sonny. Um, but anyway, so I've known him for years and he was very close with Harry Dean. They were good friends and they used to hang out at Dantana's a lot. Um, so yeah, Harry was one of Sonny's best friends. And I, um, one night I was at Musa's talking to Sonny and he, you know, I guess Harry was in hospital and um, not doing so well. And Sonny asked me if I'd go visit him with him and maybe whistle a few songs for him because he knew he would love it. And uh, yeah. And so of course I was like, of course. Um, But yeah, I asked Sonny what songs he would like. And he said, Closer Walk with Thee and Danny Boy. Mm. Um, and yeah, so we we went there together and it was, you know, it was quite sad. Of course. Um, yeah. And I, I kind of hadn't, I guess I didn't know what to expect in that regard. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was really lovely to be there with Sunny and uh, yeah. It was a moving, moving moment. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, it sounds heavy, but it also sounds, you know, that, I mean, that's, a, I mean, what a more fitting uh, combination of emotions, you know, for somebody of, of Harry Dean Stanton's stature. Oh, yeah, it was, it was very, um, it was very moving. And, uh, you know, I was like, Jesus, Sonny, did you have to pick, you know, these are the saddest songs I've ever <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not exactly they're not exactly so, up tempo peppy no, numbers. No, <laughs> I was like, oh boy. Um, but yeah, he was he was a gentleman, uh, and um, 
you know, kept asking the nurses for a cigarette. (laughs) Did they give them uh, one? No. (laughs) I wish wish they would have. I don't know. I don't know know why. (laughs) Uh, No, me too. At that point, Um, I mean, that's, you know, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Like, give the man a cigarette. Um, But yeah, it was, it was lovely to be there with Sunny and, you know, we, that was, I think the first time we'd ever hung out outside of Musos. So that was also. Wow an interesting excursion to go together. Yeah. Um, Gosh. Yeah. Well, that's, it's, that's so fascinating that you've had all these moments where you've, you're asked to, to step up and, and, and do this, this thing. I mean, uh, um, those, those melodies are obviously so, so beautiful and so moving. Um, I think that that, uh, you know, something that, that I wonder is, is, in all of these these situations where there are nerves at play, you know, from uh, from whistling competitions to uh, session work to to bedside uh, whistle serenades of cinematic uh-huh. legends, you know, I wonder for you how how important it is, or or rather to maybe be a little bit more specific, what it sort of takes to get into the kind of state that allows you to let go of those feelings and focus on what's actually happening at the moment. How, how does, how does that work for you? Yes. Well, I guess, you know, this is, this touches on kind of what I was talking about before with not being able to smile. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't, I have to kind of forego emotion, ah. a, a momentary, uh, you know, emotions. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's like a, a very kind of concentrated, kind of state um that i need to access and um yeah it does feel a bit like zoning out in a way like sometimes i feel like i don't remember a show sure (laughs) it feels like i just like black out a little bit on stage um yeah like there's a lot of nerves and everything beforehand but i just have to kind of access that the, the whistle zone. Um. <laughs> Do you access the whistle zone? Is that if you ever start your own podcast, that's what it could be called. Uh, accessing the whistle zone. Do you? Ooh, I like it. Do you have? Do you have? Um, you know, either meditative techniques or spiritual techniques or physical techniques that you employ uh, to get ready for performances or when you're about um, to to try to get into the whistle zone. Uh, no, I, 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 no, I don't. I probably should. Um, my mom's always telling me I I should meditate. (laughs) Uh, she's, um, she's a a big meditator. Uh, no, but you know, I, I do, um, I do a bit. I, I love being in nature and kind of having quiet, quiet moments. Um, actually, uh, my mom, she told me once that uh, in, enlightenment is it, it's like the feeling of a a doll made of salt walking into the ocean and wow yeah and like kind of becoming one with everything and yeah I, so I you know I there's certain kind of spiritual ideas that I uh, um, have an affinity to yeah I mean but, and does it sometimes almost feel like that when you're whistling because you talked about that feeling of almost 
just becoming one with the whistle. <laughs> um, yeah, it does a little bit. How it's, cool! Uh, the oceanic feeling of the. Um, oh, is that is that is that is that actually is that a a, a that title? The titles on yeah. on the the EP are so great and evocative. That's sort of what you're talking about there. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. That's like that feeling of. Um, kind of dissolving, I guess. Yeah, it's like, it's so tempting to call that like nothingness, but it's not nothingness, it's everythingness, it's, or it's uh, both. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, it's I love that, and I feel like maybe Harry Dean Stanton would approve. I'm not sure, though. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. But yeah, if he's, a, you know, I would have loved to have uh, had a drink with him and Sonny at Dantana's. Yeah, yeah. Would have would have been a fun, fun time. Well, well, Molly, it's been it's been so fun talking with you about about this great record and and your music and and this like very interesting life in in music. What are you what have what have you been? I'll cut this part out, but this this episode's going to air, um, you know, early in twenty twenty two. What are you? What have you been working on lately? If anything that we could talk about. Um. Well, I got a rec- an album to make, and right, uh, right. so I guess I really should be working more on that. <laughs> but I, I've um, I've been traveling a little bit. I've I've been in France quite a lot for some reason. Uh, the French, I love whistling, <laughs> and uh, how do you feel about the French? I love the French. All right, great. I, <laughs> I know. I part of me wants to to go there for some time um it's cool they yeah like you know in the u.s people are very exaggerated with their uh you know their words and you know oh whistling that's awesome you know that kind of stuff yeah in france you know they're like oh whistle it's a very poetic and sensitive like the you know it's yeah cool it's nice it's cool um (laughs) but it's got to be nice to hear that versus you know the sort of like (laughs) bemused american like whistling what (laughs) wow yeah no it's yeah it's nice i i feel um i i I like uh what they think of it and um yeah so i've had a few shows over there and i'm actually going back in december for some shows um (laughs) which is exciting. I'm playing a festival Transmusical in Rennes um, and a show in Brussels, <laughs> um, which I'm excited about because I once got a Belgian review of my album and I couldn't read it, but it did say something ideal war in the jacuzzi and i could understand that yeah jacuzzi music (laughs) yeah jacuzzi music that's Um, it you should tell the label you should tell jag jaguar like be sure to put in the uh r-i-y-l recommended if you like jacuzzis i think that'd probably be the right way to go i like i think that's i like that yeah I just want to hit, you know, that jacuzzi circuit. <laughs> well, well, that's that's so awesome and 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 like I said, Molly, it's been really really fun talking with you about this and I've really enjoyed it. Um this is a great record and I can't wait to hear what you do next and how it might evolve and uh I really appreciate you taking the time to to hang out and and discuss it with me. No, thank you. It's been really fun talking to you. Um yeah, this was great.
going to do it for this episode of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thanks so much for listening. I know how much competition there is for your ears on the internet. I'm honored that you have opted to spend a little time listening to our program today. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the show. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Thanks, as always, Andrew. Visual design by Sarah Goldstein. Thanks, Sarah. And our show is executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Thank you, Justin. Don't miss the Aquarium Drunkard Show, airing every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST on Sirius XMU. You can also hear us on DubLab every third Sunday of the month. There's a four-hour block of Aquarium Drunkard programming. We call it Radio Free Aquarium Drunkard. Uh, It's a continuation of the 24-hour station that we launched back when the pandemic first settled in. And every third Sunday, it returns uh, to your listening devices. I host a show on there called Range and Basin, and I'm joined by Chad DePasquale with New Happy Gathering and Tyler Wilcox with Doom and Gloom from the Tomb, and all sorts of guests. So every third Sunday of the month, you can hear us there. You can also head over to Aquarium Drunkard and sign up for Sidecar, our weekly newsletter of uh, stories from the site, as well as other ephemera. And of course, you can find us on Patreon if you want to support what we're doing as an independent outlet. Uh, it's really important. Your support means a huge, huge deal to us and helps us continue doing what we are doing. All right. With that word salad out of the way, doing what we're doing, uh, I'll encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe if you dig transmissions. Help us spread the word. Help new people find the show. I'll be back next week with another all-new episode. Next Wednesday, I'll be joined by Aid Blackburn of Clinic. I hope you will join us. Follow us on social media so you don't miss any updates. We'll speak again soon. Be well until then. This transmission is concluded.